You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Please welcome our panel of Power Dykes, Francis Stevens, publisher and editor-in-chief of Deneuve, the hottest lesbian magazine. Deneuve, the leading lesbian magazine. There wasn't a glossy magazine for lesbians anywhere. She decided, I'm going to make one. That's total rock and roll. I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. (laughs) Whoever was in curve, like that was it. That's how you knew what was going on. Like the latest musicians, in terms of, like, the latest artists. Yeah. I think it's only in hindsight that I can fully appreciate what Franco had to sacrifice. It was very hard to be out and open in the late 80s. I think we should do away with gays if possible. A lot of people lived in fear. Once I had a guy spit in my face. We did not see ourselves represented in any positive mainstream way. There was nothing that showed what my life was all about. I was the one that was supposed to start this magazine. She got the idea and then she's just like, oh my God, I need money. So I just applied for a bunch of credit cards all on the same day. (laughs) I just cashed them all in. And there they come. I'm going to bet an exacta with two long shots. And my horses came in first and second. At the end of the day, I had enough money to start the magazine. Do you know what the difference is between parsley and pussy? What, Franco? I don't know. I don't eat parsley. When the magazine put me on the cover, it allowed women in our own community to see a well-spoken, funny, intelligent, charming, gentlemanly butch, which is basically who I am, unless you cross my fucking path. For the first time, we could see black, lesbians, Asian, working class women. Just the power of seeing me. In the last 24 hours, you know, I heard this thing that I never wanted to hear, that the magazine could be coming to an end. As we became more visible, we also became a target. We live in a systemic, racist, sexist, anti-LGBTQ world, and we have to fight it every day. Dear straight people, why do I have to prove my love is authentic? Visibility looks like us being able to be the authors of our own experience. When there is so much at stake, our positive stories are some of the most powerful tools we have. Every time we put out a magazine, it felt groundbreaking. Like the work was so important and the work is not done. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this special episode, I am talking to Jen Rainan, Rivka Beth Meadow, and Franco Stevens. 
Jen and Rivka are the directors behind the film Ahead of the Curve, and Franco is the star of the show. This is a documentary about Franco and the two magazines that she created starting back in the early 90s. first one was called Deneuve and then Curve. Highly recommend this documentary. It is a really important thing to see, especially during Pride Month. Enjoy the interview. Gosh, I have so many questions for y'all. I guess I should start at the beginning, and I'm very curious how everybody met everybody else. So, Rivka, can you tell me how you met Jen? I met Jen on some other work that we do together, and a mutual friend introduced us. We had dinner at an Indian restaurant in 2010, something like that, so a long time ago. And then we adore each other and did a lot of work together. And then one day Jen told me she was making a film about her wife. And yeah. Jen, how did you and Franco meet? We met at a Curve Magazine holiday party. Actually, I was starting a lesbian travel company called Sweet that had a short but fabulous life. And my business partner said, hey, we need to go to the Curve Holiday Party because Franco is going to support us and and help us out with some advertising and it's going to be great. So I remember thinking, what kind of a name is Franco? That's interesting. All right. And then uh, going up to the the room where the the party was happening, we were a little bit late. Franco was perched on a, a bench and basically holding court. And I went up and introduced myself and she gave me a big warm hug and said, oh, you know, you're a little late, but there's probably some vodka and some cheese and crackers on that table over there. And in my smoothest self, I said, oh, well, I don't eat cheese or crackers. And uh, she's like, really? Why? Why is that? Oh, I have uh, dietary issues. And she's like, really? Tell me more. Because Franco also has some dietary stuff. She's got an allergy to everything that comes from a cow. That started us off talking about vegan ice cream, which eventually evolved into our first date. When were you introduced to Curve or Deneuve? Mm, probably late 30s. I was really, really late to this particular party. Yeah, I really wish I had found the magazine so many years earlier. It, it literally could have changed the whole trajectory of my life if I had. Franco, it looks like you have something you want to add here. No, I, I, I just wanted to say, Rivka, you and I met early in your uh, meetup with Jen. Uh, you didn't just meet because of the film, you and I go way back as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, during our marriage, I would tell Jen some of the crazy antics about what what it was like to make a lesbian magazine, you know, get it started, run it through the 90s. And there's a lot of crazy stories. So I think she just kind of, I think you enjoyed those stories. Oh, yeah. I was some of the stories, the, the PG rated ones I would tell to our kids at bedtime and they really got a kick out of it. I I mean, I really thought it would make a great uh, fiction film, the story of the founding of the magazine, because it's really like, look, when somebody says, hey, in order to uh, start this uh, business that I wanted to start, I took out 12 credit cards in one day and I cashed them out and I took them to the racetrack and bet on the horses to get the money. Come on, you got to see that. Like that would make a great movie. So I started trying to write the screenplay and it was in researching for the, that screenplay that I realized it was hard to find source material. It's hard to find nonfiction stories to help me ground in what was happening for queer women, for lesbians in the late 80s, early 90s. I, just, I, could, I did, There was not much out there. 
So, you know, it hit me like, this is something I need to do. This is an imperative. This is something I need to give back to this community. So I told it. And it's a documentary. Franca, when Jen comes to you and says, I want to make a documentary about the story of you in the magazine, what is that reaction from you? Well, I think my reaction was, I'm a private person. Why do you want to do that? I was not a fan of the idea at first. Franco is very humble and her first instinct is, has always been, hey, if this is a way to lift up the women who, the many, many women who over the years helped create this publication, sure, all right, let's do it. But let's not make it just to be about me because it wasn't just you. I hate that I'm getting all this credit when there is really so many women that just were so instrumental. Without them, Curve Magazine never would have happened. There is a, a really good deal of amount of attention paid to some of your cohorts when it comes to who is doing what on the magazine, which I really appreciate. And just to show that it's not just a one woman show that you you know had a, a community of people that you were relying on. I thought that was really well put. So I didn't think that it was just you, though. It felt like the germ of the idea came from you. Yes, probably that's true. Although the the uh, the word germ kind of resonates in a in a pandemic kind of way. As a, <laughs> <laughs> let's say germination instead of germ. The germination. Also, Franco is so determined, like and, and really clear, and just always eyes on the prize. So I think that's like one of the things that we we didn't get way into in the film is that she was also a boxer. And I think, yeah, that kind of clarity of vision at such a young, early age has been a driving force. And not just a boxer, a semi-pro boxer. Like she was pretty serious. And a semi-pro skateboarder too, right? And a gold medalist at the Junior Olympics, if I'm not. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. Rinka, what year did the first issue come out? The first issue came out in 1991, and our current editor at the time was on the front cover wearing sunglasses, so you could tell it was kind of a, well, I don't know how exact, how out exactly I need to be to have my face on the cover of this lesbian magazine. But weren't they, they weren't just sunglasses, weren't they like stunner shades with like the... Yeah, they were super cool. We didn't even realize that she was, you know, she put on those glasses just to look cool, not to be like, I'm going incognito. Oh, and then who was on the back cover of that very first issue? Oh, that would be me because we had no back cover advertiser. In fact, the only advertisers in the entire magazine were my dad with his computer business and uh, a different light bookstore, which is where I worked. That's fantastic. I ran a, a zine, so just a very small footprint in the print industry. And I know how thankless it was to run a zine. I can't even imagine the amount of pressure and work that went into running an actual real magazine. You know, when I was working at the bookstore, like zines were where it was at in the 90s. I loved the zines. I could just spend an entire shift not working and being in the, you know, in the stacks reading the zines. What was the process once you decided that there was going to be this documentary made once you decided it was going to be a documentary rather than a a fiction film. What was the process then of digging up this and, and forming the story around Franco and the magazine? It was so much fun. I had a a series of maybe 60 pre-interviews 
Franco was amazing. She was, um, she said, look, here's, you talk to anybody, (laughs) just, you know, my life is an open book for you. So I called old friends, people who had worked at the magazine in early days through today. I called family members. I called old girlfriends. And I called luminaries from the community, you know, people who like Kate Kendall and Jewel Gomez, you know, people who, who certainly knew Franco or knew of Franco and, and, um, had something to say about her work. And so I just, I transcribed so many, 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 many pages of interviews and combed through to find the themes that, that formed the story that you see on the, in the film, or at least the beginning of it. (laughs) Because <laughs> it changed. Yeah, every good story changes, doesn't it? What were some of those moments where you figured we have to kind of shift direction? Well, there was one super b- big moment. We were on our way. We were about two thirds of the way done filming the movie, or maybe even more. The movie was more of a biopic, right? And we were on our way to a conference, a lesbian conference called Clexicon in Las Vegas. It's like a fangirl kind of conference. And I got a call from the current publisher of Curve Magazine saying uh, the magazine might not make it through the year. So at that point, I think you two decided to pivot. And we went on a journey to find out what the queer women's community needed needs today. Is a magazine still relevant? Is the word lesbian still relevant? And it was quite the journey. I mean, we, we thought about it. You were just the reason part of why we pivoted is because you recognized the opportunity to connect what you did for us to be able to tell the story that connected what you did, especially with Deneuve in the early years and then with Curve to what was happening today. It was kismet because we were we went to film at Clexicon, which is a huge gathering of LGBTQ plus women and our allies in Las Vegas. And we had we, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to cover. And then that weekend, I mean, it was like the only time we hadn't done like intense pre-production to figure out what we were filming. And then when Franco got this call from Silka, it was like oh my gosh, like here's, this is how these can fit together. You know, there was a lot of intensity, but it also, it provided this bridge. And then the next day we had this panel scheduled where Franco, remember you were like, is anyone going to come? You you were like, weren't sure. And then it was packed. The room was packed with women who wanted to have this conversation about, you know, what the word lesbian means and what it means, what it meant, what it means now, and have this really honest, open conversation. And I think after that, we all felt like, okay, we should continue this journey and open, open this film up. I'm always curious when there are co-directors on a production, how things shake out as far as who does what and when. So what was that relationship like between Rivka and Jen working on this? Luke Skywalker and Yoda a little bit. (laughs) This is my first film and Rivka, this is not Rivka's first rodeo. Basically I've felt like every step of the way I've just been in a masterclass um, after masterclass, after masterclass. So it's been, it's been a lot of learning, but um, yeah, I mean, I think pretty Early on, we both really shared ownership of the story and the vision for the film. 
I had a great clear vision for what the biopic would be. And then it shifted and Rivka uh, did a really nice, uh, skillful job of helping me expand my understanding of what this film could be and didn't kill each other. So that was a you know, huge win. Well, in fact, we, if we learned how much we adore each other and then we founded a production company together. But I think being in conversation with Jen around this film and then also being in conversation with Franco around this film, to me, it, it makes it so much richer, the experience of making a film where I'm just comfortable not knowing what the answer is to something and just having faith that because we have the right people, we'll get there. And I knew that we had the right people. So that's just, I mean, I didn't know how the film was going to come out, but <laughs> like I knew we had, I knew it would be amazing because I knew we had an incredible story. We had, you know, Franco, who's phenomenal in her history and what she's done, but also in her generosity and trust and her presence. So I knew we would land somewhere really resonant. And I feel like we were, you know, together, we were all able to accomplish it. It's got to be one heck of a journey just to think magazine comes out in 91, to think that this is pre-internet, to think of where people were when it came to how LGBTQ plus people were treated versus how they're treated today versus how they were treated just even a few years ago. I mean, just those journeys of media and and acceptance and unacceptance. I mean, that must have just been incredible to try to document those things at the same time. Yeah, it was a little heartbreaking also. I mean, you're right. It's changed an, a lot. And also not everywhere. Yeah, there's one section of the film where you talk about how things are kind of backsliding. And that was really eye-opening and very, very startling to realize that things aren't as peachy as they should be. It's wild. It's really regional, too. I know um, we took the film around the country. Jen went to Houston and I went to the Midwest. I went to my hometown and to Michigan, actually. And several of the comments impacted that edit, you know, especially those pieces where you're talking about in the film where people said, you know, it's, it's different in certain cities, you know, it's different on the coast, you know, still where we are in these areas, a lot of times it's not safe. Visibility doesn't equal safety. You know, I think that's something also just, you know, to go back into the film, that's something Franco knew super early on, you know, the magazine came out and it was in a brown paper wrapper. That's how it was delivered, right? People weren't out and it wasn't safe. And also Franco and her crew drove across the country, all around the South, all around the Midwest to bring the magazine to women, you know, as a way to connect people and really understanding it really early. And I see that as a big parallel between the magazine and the film is that you did take a rough cut to smaller cities to reach out to people where they live. And that was really instrumental for me making the magazine. There was no internet. Uh, the only way to reach women, let them know that they weren't alone was to, you know, show up at their friend's house and at their local coffee shop or, you know, lesbian bar and introduce them to the magazine. I mean, they could feel like they were all alone and there could be another lesbian that lived 10 miles from them and they wouldn't have no idea 
was there a lot of resistance to distributing the magazine? Did you have problems with different distributors getting it in stores? The first idea when people hear lesbian magazine, they think it's going to be pornographic. Not only did we have trouble with bookstores and distributors, when I first decided I'm going to put the word lesbian on the front cover, even the community was like, whoa, hold on. That is too outrageous. (laughs) There's no way I would buy that because every time I would go to the newsstand and pick it up, I'd be too afraid to even bring it to the counter because every time I do that, that means I'm coming out to who's ever behind the cash register. And I just went, oh, great. Then I'm definitely going to do it. <laughs> you know, you know, I can't tell you how many people told me don't do it. And the more people told me, you know, that it was a bad idea or I shouldn't do it or women wouldn't buy it just made me want to try it even more. Of course, I was 23 years old at the time when the first issue came out. So I was a little bit more um, spirited than I am today, a little bit more willing to take risks. As we get older, we sort of, you know, become a little bit more safe in our everyday, I think. Although Jen and Rivka, Jen, you definitely, you know, yours is the opposite. The older you get, the more, the more risks you're willing to take. Well, Jen's motto for life is suck the marrows. So <laughs> And Franco's is don't take no for an answer. (laughs) Franco, what was it like looking back at yourself and helping out Jen and Rivka make this documentary and and delving into the self that you were when you were 23 and now you're 40 something? I'll tell you, you know, now I'm a disabled person. When I started the magazine, I was an able-bodied boxer. Seeing my pre-disabled self was sad, but inspiring. And in a way, it made me realize that, you know, I have come a long way. When I was first disabled, I was completely incapacitated. You know, I tried to hide that. And now, you know, I'm disabled and I'm proud. And I want other people to be able to see that representation. But seeing the old me and exposing my life to my wife, you know, there was some good, some bad, some ugly you know, there was some outrageous, you know, it was the nineties in San Francisco. It was a time of, you know, some crazy and crazy lesbian times. I mean, I think what you mean is some good, some bad, some sexy, definitely sexy. Of course, you're not my wife. So, you know, yeah, but see, you know, just because she talked to a bunch of my ex uh, girlfriends, I mean, that's kind of weird in itself. It's like, you know, there's a not for lesbians. Not for lesbians. I was just going to say that it's like, you know, who's a lesbian's best friend? Her ex girlfriend. You know, so you you know a good person when they are still friends with their exes and their exes don't hate them. Jen and Rivka, was the subject of your documentary difficult or easy to work with? You know, I live with this person, right? That's kind of a mean question. <laughs> she, I will say both. I'm just going to say from my perspective, she's been a dream. So it's, I mean, really, truly, it's really, it's funny because then I went on to make a film. We just, Jen and I are just making a film about my girlfriend. (laughs) We're like, (laughs) this is the way, right? Because lots and lots, but really in some ways, you know, with filmmaking, it's such an, it's such an intimate relationship And you become, especially verite filmmaking, 
and you, you were a documentary, you're doing it, you're making the film over such a long period of time. And it really helps to not just like each other, but really care incredibly deeply. I mean, obviously, you know, Jen and Frank are married and love each other so much and they have a really phenomenal marriage, very inspiring marriage. They got married many, many times and continue to re-celebrate it. And it's it's really like a, a model. I mean, I think of, you know, I, I think of them as role models too for like how to be individuals inside a marriage. And I think that's really important, right? And to support each other's work and to and and the more like incredible role models we have, especially in queer community for like relationships and marriage. I mean, how amazing is that? The difficult thing about working with Franco for me was knowing that we were going to have to go some places that would hurt her. Yeah, that had to have been very rough for you and for her. There were a few scenes, most notably, well, there's a couple, when she talks about her pain, when she talks about the possibility that that, that the magazine really is going out of business now, um, when she talks about her, the original injury. Um, these are not stories that she shares easily and not places that she wants to dwell in. There was not a dry eye in the room when we were filming those scenes. Um, it was really, really intense, really intense. Talked a little bit about taking the rough cut around and showing that. And I'm always curious about that process of honing the final film. What was that like? And, and when did you finally lock picture? Frank gave us a really great gift when she, like when we understood how she made the magazine, because it just gave us the template for how we would make the film, right? With, by, for community and really engage and listen and, you know, think about things like belonging and inclusion and really weave that into the DNA of this film. So when, so taking the film around to other places besides just in California, was crucial. And I think what happened for me, it's really important to pay attention to the trends and the patterns in the comments that you hear from people. There's some one-offs, you know, there might be some notes that, you know, everyone wants to be helpful and make notes. But when you start hearing the same sorts of places where people are confused or they want to know more, you know, those are, that's really important feedback to listen to and address. So we did, we, we got the opportunity to do that. And that was, uh, it, it feels like a, it's a gift. Be, and also when you're taking the film around, you're, you're, and, and, and letting people help you help us make the film, we're gaining uh, collaborators and allies and people who are going to be invested in the film's success as well. Right. You know, same as when, Franco would take the magazine around like people were then invested in the film because it becomes theirs as well. So, and then when we lock, when did we lock the film? Do you, we had a, I mean, it was pandemic. It was crazy. Jen. <laughs> I feel like it was like mid May and the premiere with frame line was the last weekend in June and we locked it. We locked. Yeah. I think that's right. Like early to mid May, we locked picture and then the sound was crazy town uh, to get done. And we we cut this beautiful stereo, like 5.1 sound mix. Oh, stunning. And we ended up premiering because of COVID at a drive-in. We And I will say, 
it was apparently the biggest movie premiere for any independent film in 2020 because we did it at a drive-in and because our, our community turned out, it was pride weekend. Everybody had been on lockdown for a few months and, and they were so excited to come out in their masks, be outside, do something safe in community for pride. Oh wait, how many people were there, Jen? Uh, somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500 people came to the premiere. Woohoo! Yeah, it was amazing. But yeah, we went to do Tech Check at the drive-in. Was it three days before the, the big premiere? And drive-in theaters can't accommodate 5.1. So it sounded terrible. So we had to like rush back and quickly rejigger and turn it into stereo sound, which is what anyway, that drive-in could accommodate. And then it sounded fantastic, but... You know, it's uh, it's not never boring <laughs> making a film. <laughs> not a not a calm, boring kind of a thing. <laughs> Franco, what's it like when you see the film for the first time with an audience? Uh, they were one in the same because I watched the film for the first time at that drive-in with you know twenty five hundred people. First of all, it was in Concord, California, which is like frankly, the middle of nowhere. Sorry, people that live in Concord. I was like, no one's going to even, it's like the same thing. I'm like, nobody's going to come to this. Who's, you know, like there are five gay people in Concord. I mean, and just the fact that people drove from all over the place was really amazing. And watching the movie with my community just brought me to tears. You know, I stood in the entry just amazed, like seeing the cars go by. And I was just like, I'm just going to stand here and, you know, wave to people because I'm so grateful that they, they came out that, you know, that they, they found it worthwhile and God, it was so heartwarming getting a little teary, just thinking about it, getting verklempt. Um, yeah. I want to shout out Frameline too, because we premiered with Frameline and they took a big chance. You know, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to have people come in person, for this particular film, it felt so important to have people together, even though we were all socially distanced and wearing masks, but to have everyone decorated their cars and they came out to the drive-in and it was Pride Weekend. And that felt really important to be able to do. And Frameline were just incredible partners and helped us make that real. What's been the life of the film since that premiere? It has gone on to do close to 70 festivals around the world. It has won a number of awards, which we're super proud of and thrilled by. Most most of the awards were Audience Choice Awards, which is my favorite award. (laughs) It just feels amazing. And um, we are thrilled to say that um, we're going to now uh, release uh, in select theaters, including IFC in New York on this Friday, and then uh, starting June 1st, which is um, we will be available on Stars Network, Apple, Amazon, gosh, and anywhere that you rent or buy movies to stream now. Did I read something about the life of the magazine after the movie came out? Is there more movement around that? Why, yes, you you did read that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. In fact, today was the um, first day of our new executive director at the Curve Foundation. So we have officially launched the Curve Foundation to lift up queer women's voices and tell our stories. 
We have two programs uh, that we're starting out with already. One is a partnership with NLGJA, the Association of uh, LGBTQ Journalists. Um, and it's the Curve Award, which is for emerging journalists who are interested in telling queer women's stories. And that's, we're already getting applications, uh, people who are, are interested to um, be a part of that first cohort. It's thrilling. And, uh, and the second project that we're working on is the Curve Archive. Um, we're taking the 30 years of articles uh, that document queer women's culture and history and issues that you will see in the pages of Deneuve and Curve magazine, and we're making sure that they're scanned beautifully and available and searchable for free by anybody. So, um, yeah, so I'm pretty thrilled about that. So we're just getting started. Um, and Jasmine Sidarkasa, who's our, our first executive director, started today, rolled up her sleeves and is uh, getting, getting down to business. One of the things that I'm particularly thrilled about is that uh, Franco had the opportunity to reacquire Curve Magazine and donate it to the Curve Foundation. And so Curve has come home. What is everybody working on now other than, of course, supporting the film and getting the word out? We have a few projects in play. I mean, of course, we're spending a lot of time uh, getting the Curve Foundation up and running. And then Rivka and I have been working on a number of projects through our production company, Frankly Speaking Films. So we have, I think she mentioned, <laughs> there's a short uh, documentary that we just, was it yesterday, locked picture on? Yep. Called Holding Moses. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? So Holding Moses is a short documentary about a queer, non-binary mother's path to loving her profoundly disabled son. And it's a, it's a really intimate film. It's like maybe 17 minutes. And it's, uh, yeah, kind of impressionistic, poetic, um, all verite film that will be hopefully starting in festivals in the fall. We're just starting. We just locked it. It's just going to color and sound soon. And then we also wrote a pilot for an episodic about the early years of Deneuve magazine in San Francisco, Franco and her crew. Her fictionalized crew, I will say. Her fictionalized crew. And that uh, that were developed that's in development right now. And then there's a rom-com in development as well, a feature film rom-com um, that we're writing as well. Thank you all so much for your time. This has been so great talking to everybody. And I've just, like I said, before we even started recording, I love the documentary. It was just wonderful, very poignant, very heartwarming. So thank you so much for making it. And I wish you all the best success with it. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Really delightful. Thank you right. so much. I'm a girl and by me that's only great. I am proud that my silhouette is curvy. That I walk with a sweet and girlish gait. With my hips all swivelly and swervy. I adore being dressed in something frilly When my date comes to get me at my place Out I go with my Joe or John or Billy Like a filly who is ready for the race When I have a brand new 
hairdo And my eyelashes all in curl I float as the clouds on air do I enjoy being a girl When men say I'm cute and funny And my teeth are in teeth but pearl I just lap it up like honey I enjoy being a girl I flip when the fella sends me flowers I drool over dresses made of lace I talk on the telephone for hours With a pound and a half of cream upon my face I'm strictly a female, female And my future, I hope, will be In the home of a brave and free male Who enjoy being a guy Having a girl like Guy, have a night. 